Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, everyone. My name is Abby. I'm an alcoholic. Um, it's great to be here. My sobriety date is October 19th, is 2007, and my home group is the Interaction Big Book Group, Berkeley Heights, New Jersey. Um, we am usually there um, right now, but <laughs> we meet on Monday nights at 7.30. Um, it's a big book meeting, and twice a year we do a big book workshop, where we all um, go, to, go through the steps together as a group. We do a six-week workshop. Um, I drink a lot of soda, so <laughs> I'm a little jittery right now. Um, and I didn't eat dinner either. So mm-hmm. forgive me if this talk is completely all over the place. Try to follow along. I like the spotlight that's on me right now. That was kind of cool. <laughs> Freaked me out at first, but <laughs> I kind of getting used to it. Um, uh, so yeah, we do this big book workshop. Um, six weeks. Two people present on um, the steps each week. And um, uh, you get a temporary sponsor if you've never been to steps before, if you want a new experience. And... Um, we don't just limit it to alcoholics. We get people from other fellowships. So I've like, taken people from Al-Anon and through the steps and stuff like that. It's really, really kind of a, a really cool experience. So if you're ever in New Jersey, Berkeley Heights, New Jersey, I welcome you <laughs> to our meeting. Um, so I'm really good to be here. Thanks, Sarah, for asking me to speak. I um, really love this meeting. There's a really great energy in this room. Um, it's nice when it's outside, too, which is cool. It's actually nicer when you're speaking, the, 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 uh, you can't, like, see everyone on the outside, so the, <laughs> like, it looks like a much smaller group, so, um, but anyway, and thanks, um, Jess, Marielle, and Julia for coming with me today, we had a really fun, uh, ride over here, um, it's really tough to explain to people, like, why I would drive an hour on a Monday night to go speak at a meeting for an hour and then drive home. Um, <laughs> so even people in A are kind of just a little bit like, why would you do that? So, um, I, uh, but it's so much fun. You know, that's like what my early sobriety was all about. We just took all these different road trips and just get in the car and drive. And, like, there's the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting and just listening to music and talking about random things and having a good time. Um, I, uh I'm here to tell you tonight a little bit about what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, so I'll do the best, do that to the best of my ability. Um, I'm born and raised in New Jersey. I lived there my entire life, and uh, that doesn't make me an alcoholic. Um, and I come from a long line of alcoholics as well, which also doesn't make me an alcoholic. Um, but from an early age, I had kind of a uh, sort of like not a very – I know that some people, they grow up and there's alcohol – at like family parties and stuff like that and everyone's having a good time and it's fun and like it's very attractive like people in my family drink and they go to the psych ward you know like there's it's not it's not pretty you know like it's like suicide there's the psych wards there's the detoxes there's the jails and stuff but besides all that I had a pretty normal childhood I had two loving parents <laughs> I grew up in a nice house. You know, we went on vacations. We rode bikes on the weekends. Like, my parents read me stories, like, before I went to bed every night. You know what I mean? I never went hungry. I was never beaten, molested, or anything like that as a kid. Um, if you told me, you know, up until the point I did a four-step, my childhood was awful. terrible. My parents were oppressive, and I was just a victim of my, you know, bourgeoisie lifestyle and just uh, um, 
you know, everything was just really terrible. <laughs> um, everything was my parents' fault. After I did a fourth and a fifth step, my childhood suddenly just got so much better. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I realized, you know, I was a very lucky girl. You know, I've had a lot of opportunities in life that a lot of people haven't, you know. Um, and like other people that came from alcoholics, home, alcoholic home, I really hate that term because it makes me sound like a victim, which I'm not at all. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I never went hungry. I never beaten, lost it, you know. Um, so things are right. And as a, like a small child, like I think I was a pretty happy-go-lucky kid, you know. I, um, but I always wanted to be like a badass, you know. I always wanted to break the rules, but I was such a wimp, you know. I could never really do it. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, when uh, I was in like second grade, I think. Uh, they were putting um, new grass. They were like planting new grass in the playground, and there was like you know the hay they put over it to protect the seeds. And, uh, how the landscaping works, but anyway, there was hay on the ground, and um, uh, me and my friends would uh, like pick up the hay and pretend we we're like smoking cigarettes, you know. And I thought that was like really cool, you know. And I actually remember the first time I ever smoked a cigarette, I was like 12, and um, it was because of health class. Like we were learning about you know the dangers of smoking, you know black lung, and you know you're gonna die and get cancer and all these horrible things. And my uh, my health teacher. You know, I was like, you know, just be honest. You know, has anyone here tried smoking? And about half the class raised their hand. And I'm thinking, I'm, like, really behind. You know, because I was very self-conscious then, you know. And I was, like, very concerned about fitting in and what people, like, keeping up appearances and what people thought of me and all that other BS, you know. So, like, I said to my friends after house class, I was like, oh, i got to start smoking, you know. Um, so, like, that day, <laughs> we, like, went and stole some of my sister's cigarettes and, like, smoked a cigarette for the first time, um, which is sort of, like, pretty much characterized a lot of my actions was just, like, I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to feel different, you know. Um, it was, like, a lot of my – and now, now that I know from, you know, working with a sponsor and, and being active in AA and, you know, working the 12 steps, I know that a lot of that just based on fear, like, my entire life was just based on fear of what you would think about me, you know, fear that I wasn't good enough, um, fear that – um, just, just constant feeling uncomfortable in my own skin. Um, I, and so, like I said, I was a pretty, like, happy-go-lucky kid until about, like, middle school, like, rolled around. Things really started to go downhill. Um, and I, uh, I, like, just, you know, it's a pretty awkward time for any, everyone, you know, like, the adolescent ages, like, everyone's new hormones are raging and, uh, you know, everyone's just a weird, awkward kid, but I felt like I was the weirdest, most awkward kid there ever could be. So how I dealt with that was just being completely outrageous and over the top. So I used to wear these, like, pink leopard print pants to school, had a matching blue pair. You know, I wore these huge, like, four-inch platform shoes, like, with fuzzy, they're like, like, I really don't even know how to describe them. This is when the Spice Girls were really popular. Um, so I pretty much dressed like a Spice Girl to school. And it was just not, it was not a good luck. Like, that's just not the best way to make friends, in case you're wondering. Um, so I, uh, um, I, I started kind of subconsciously um, trying to, like, you know, dress like everyone else was dressing, listen to the kind of music you're listening to, you know, try to fit in with this group of people, this group of people, pretty much everyone who would accept me. And, um, you know, looking back, I don't, I don't really think I did this, like, consciously, you know, like, looking back, I'm able to have, like, a little perspective on my life and sort of add a narrative to, to how my life went. Um, and, yeah, so I was just sort of, like, 
um, just desperate to do anything, you know, do, I'll do anything to get you to like me, you know? And, um, I remember trying to like read like Cosmo Girl and Seventeen magazine and like trying to do my makeup and look all pretty and cute, but I put like too much bronzer on and, and my face would be a different color than the rest of my body, you know, or like I started tweezing my eyebrows in seventh grade and I didn't really know when to stop. So for about a year, I had no eyebrows. Um, really good luck. Really, really good luck. Um, and I also, and my friends, I still I have some of the same friends from, from back in the day, and they still talk about, they still talk about, like, I'm in eighth grade and you didn't have any eyebrows. So it's like, yeah, I do. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> no wonder I drank. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I also remember, you know, in eighth grade, writing in my journal, like, I'm so depressed and I don't know why, you know, I, uh, just really, that's when I really started becoming really inward and um, feeling really detached and really removed from the rest of the world. And um, I started cutting myself around that age because that was just, it was like an outlet. It's like I didn't know how to deal with, you know, the emotions that I had and the feelings and the behaviors and the actions. And, you know, I took myself very seriously. I was very dramatic. And um, now from uh, working with prayer and meditation and stuff, I know not to take myself so seriously, not to take my thoughts so seriously. Um, and that, um, the thoughts that I have are, don't make me who I am. You know, there, there's not really much I can do about what goes on in my own head. You know, I can have some power and control over my actions. Um, so, but I didn't know that when I was 14. <laughs> so I took every thought I had very seriously. You know, all my feelings were very real. And, um, the first substance I ever picked up was pot, um, which was awesome because my sister was a drug dealer and she lived upstairs. So it was just very convenient. Um, and uh, she, uh, yeah, it was great. And uh, my, my dad was drunk all the time, so he didn't notice. So, you know, um, we, uh, I stayed home from school one day, and my sister was like, have you ever gotten high before? And I was like, no. And I didn't think twice about doing it. It was like when I first started drinking. I did not think twice. Any substance anyone ever handed me, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. I'm down. You know, I just... um like inherently drawn to anything that you know would make me feel different you know and uh i uh so i got high you know i uh ate like a box of fruit snacks took like three showers i was really paranoid that i smelled like like marijuana you know before my mom got home um and uh you know nothing really bad happened it was like a little period of time where i wasn't me and that was great because at that time, being me really sucked. So anything that got me out of me, it worked well. Um, so I I picked up my first drink when I was about 15, and I was a sophomore in high school. And when I went from uh, middle school to high school, my parents gave me the option of um, going to private school. And I thought that was my chance to start over fresh, you know, because <laughs> I was like, how we think. Um, now I know that, you know, if I change jobs, change schools, change friends, change boyfriends, whatever, it might help for a little while. It might make things better for a little while. But if I'm the problem, I take every, I take me everywhere I go, you know. And what I've learned in AA is that you know it's an inside job, and um, I need to I need to be okay anywhere I go in any situation that I am uh, in that I am in. Um, so anyway, again, I didn't have this kind of insight and perspective back then. So I go to school and I think everything's gonna be different, right? I'll make all new friends, I'll have new teachers, like everything's gonna be, I'll, I'll be great. And I get to school and it's like 
the most intimidating situation. Everyone's like beautiful and rich and drives wonderful cars and just like dressed in, you know, the most expensive clothes and tan and gorgeous and looks like supermodels. And um, so that wasn't really helpful for someone who feels inadequate and, and, and inferior all the time. And so, again, I was just trying anything I could to fit in. And, like, I just wanted to be one of the cool kids, you know? Like, I was – I watched all those, like, clueless – like, clueless and she's all that and those movies, like, from the 90s and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, like, this is what high school is like. Like, I got to be prom queen. I got to be homecoming queen. Like, I had to be the best, you know? I had to be the most popular girl in school, which I was not. Um, didn't make it to prom or homecoming or graduation, for that matter, you know? <laughs> so uh, – uh, I graduated. I wasn't allowed to walk in the ceremony. Actually, by that time, they weren't allowed on school property, and they mailed me my yearbook. Um, things didn't really go how I planned it. So I want to be one of the cool kids, right? Because um, I think, you know, if I fit in, that'll be good. And so what do all the cool kids do on the weekends? They go to parties, and they get drunk. And I was like, i got to do that. You know, like, how do I get in? How do I get into these parties, you know? And, uh, like, the friends that I hung out with, they went to the movies on the weekends, and I thought that was kind of boring, and, you know, was, like, hang out at someone's house. Like, I wanted to party. I wanted boys. Like, I wanted, you know, I wanted the whole experience. So I, uh, so I go to this party. I'm, like, it's Halloween, and this girl pretty much invited everyone into school to go to this party. I wasn't exactly invited, you know, to go, but I went anyway, you know, and, like, everyone in my school was going to be there, and I'm like, this is my chance to impress everyone, I got all cute and dressed up, you know, put on my makeup, and thought I looked really good, probably looked like a mess, I really was, like, a terrible, terrible dresser back then, but, um, <laughs> I used to, like, wear like, the most ridiculous outfits, um, but, uh, so I get to this party, and, like, I don't know what anyone else, but I was pretty much a pathological liar back then, and so I just, like, make up stories all the time, you know. And so I'm at this party telling people, like, I drink all the time, like, with my other friends. You don't know them. Um, or, like, I used to make up boyfriends. You know, I'd say he goes to another school. You know, you don't know him. Um, <laughs> I didn't exist, but anyway. <laughs> so it was really cool. Um, and so we're waiting in the alcohol guest there. You know, I put in my $5. I think it was, like, some cheap Smirnoff vodka, maybe, like, some sort of cheap beer, and I just start drinking, you know. The way that I drank from the very beginning was the same way I drank to the very end, like get as much in me as quick as possible, you know, and um, except towards the very end, I uh, had to get a lot more in me a lot more frequently to get where I needed to be. Um, so, you know, like I'm drunk. And the next thing, I like, first thing I, you know, I start drinking, then next thing I know I'm completely trashed. <laughs> and I'm like crawling all over the ground because my legs don't seem to work anymore. And I'm like wearing a skirt. It's just, like really not a good look. And um, the the girl's parents come and bust, bust up the party. And I'm like sprawled out on the bathroom floor next to a toilet of my own vomit. And um, they give me the phone. And they tell me, you have to call your parents. You know, they have to come pick you up. And I was like, I don't even know where I am right now. Like, I can't come. It's, like, midnight. I can't call my parents, you know. So I dialed. So I figured I'd fake them out, right? So I dialed the first number that comes to my mind, which is my cell phone number. And my cell phone rang in the next room. Um, so that cover was blown. And um, I think I pretended to dial another number. And then next thing I know, I'm getting a ride home from somebody else. I go to my friend's house, and everything's okay. My parents don't find out. And I wake up the next morning, and I really felt like the worst hangover I'd ever have in, I would ever have in my entire life. And I really did feel guilty. Like, I felt ashamed. Like, I felt like such an ass, you know? Like, I was trying to be, like, 
show everyone how suave and sophisticated I was, and I just made a complete fool out of myself, and I was really embarrassed. Um, but did that deter me from drinking <laughs> again? Absolutely not. You know, in fact, I think I felt like some fire ignited in me where I was like, I gotta get drunk as much as possible, as often as possible, because that was awesome. You know, I loved what alcohol did for me. You know, I had a couple drinks and it was like, you know, I could breathe. You know, maybe I could look you in the eye. Maybe I could have a conversation without planning out what I'm going to say beforehand. Um, a couple more drinks and I, uh, I felt like I was the life of the party. You know, I'm the girl, like, dancing on tables. And uh, a few more drinks, I felt like I was the hottest girl in the room, and you're just lucky to my presence. And from going from that, like, shy, nervous, awkward girl to feeling like that, like, who wouldn't want that all the time, you know? So, like I, like I said, I always wanted to be badass. So I sought out the bad kids, you know, kids that were, like, getting arrested and going to rehab and, uh, you know, kids went to the alternative high school or, you know, the older guys that were already graduated in high school and lived with their parents and, you know, hung out with the high school girls, you know, that was sort of my scene. Um, because usually they could buy you booze. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought this was awesome. Like, I thought it was so glamorous, you know, like drinking cheap beer in someone's basement or someone's dirty, dingy apartment. Or, um, and, uh, I was thinking, like, I don't want to go to college. Like, I want to go to jail. Like, this is life for me, you know? Um, and uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of other substances that are part of my story, the, the kind of things that, um, like I said, like, I never turned down anything. Like, you offered me something. I don't care. It's a pill. You, I don't care if you smoke it. I don't care if you snort it. I don't care what you do with it. I just wanted it in my body, you know? Um, and uh, so those things kind of got me through the week. And on the weekends, it was time to get drunk. I always look forward to the weekends, you know. And by the time I'm, like, 16, I'm, like, writing in my journal, like, I'm really glad I didn't drink tonight, you know, because I've been drinking a lot, you know. It's, like, already trying to, like, sort of manage and control and trying to, like, cut back on my drinking. You know, I'm 16 years old. You probably shouldn't be having to cut back on your drinking. Um, I remember my sister threw a party at my house when I was away on vacation with my parents. Um, and, like, someone stole, like, the flask out of my um, my nightstand. You know, and, like, looking back, several, I was, like, really mad about it for many years. And then looking back in sobriety, I'm like, why did a 15-year-old girl have a flask next to her bed? Like, that's abnormal. Um, and, uh, um, and I love drinking. You know, I love, like, the craziness, the chaos. I love the parties. I love the boys. You know, like, I couldn't even look at someone of the opposite sex until I started drinking. You know, I was, like, terrified. Um. And then I wasn't, you know, drinking gave me the ability to show up and participate and be a part of life and it didn't make me afraid anymore, you know, and I loved it. Um, like, by the time I was, like, 16, I was, like, the thing is, when I was drinking, I was okay, you know, like, drinking was, made everything okay. But when I was sober, things were not okay. You know, there was things going on in my head, like, I was a suicidal type, you know, I was, this, you know person who had completely uncontrollable emotions or crying one minute laughing hysterically the next you know I thought I was insane so I started seeing I begged my parents to let me see a psychiatrist and a therapist and you know I needed I was like I was convinced I needed a whole team of medical professionals to figure out what the hell was wrong with me um so I had a great psychiatrist fabulous he was um like Upper East Side doctor and he um you know, met me once and prescribed, like, you know, every pill for every color of the rainbow, you know. And um, I, uh, you know, I'd just be like, I'm sad. Here's a pill. I can't sleep. Here's a pill, you know. Um, 
And um, I have a problem with taking things as prescribed, so you can imagine how that um, situation turned out. And the therapist didn't give me fun blue pills or, you know, orange pills or anything like that. So I was really not interested in talking about my problems with her. Um, so, uh, and um, so, yeah, things are just uh, progressively kind of getting worse and worse and worse. And by the time I'm, like, 17, it's, like, chugging vodka on my way to school in the morning and, um my behavior was, like, completely erratic and strange. I actually convinced everyone at my, like, all the teachers and staff at my school that I was crazy, and I was allowed to leave school whenever I wanted, you know, because I might have a breakdown. Yeah. So I just start, like, pretending to cry in class, and then I would just be able to leave. Um, except one time I left and got high and then crashed my car, and they're like, you can't, you can't do that anymore. Um, you're just down to school grounds for a little while. Um, and I, uh, you know, I had all, like, the typical stuff. I mean, it's all the same kind of stuff you hear in the same A meetings, you know, abusive relationships, bad friends, failing out of school, you know, just the same old um, run-of-the-mill alcoholic stuff, you know, nothing really special. Um, and so I uh, I got into college somehow. I'm not really sure how that happened. I applied to one school because I, it was the only deadline that I made. I missed all the other application deadlines. And um, so the summer before I started um, college, I was like, I'm going to quit doing drugs. You know, that's not normal for an 18-year-old girl to stay up for three days at a time talking to the posters on her wall. You know, that's a little bit bizarre. Um, so I didn't think twice about drinking, though, you know. Like, I just, it didn't even occur to me. And already people were starting to question my drinking. I had one friend tell me I was an alcoholic, and I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And I remember one telling my one friend, I was like, I don't know what it is, but I just can't stop drinking until I go to bed, you know. Um, like, now I know, like, I have alcoholism, like, I have the phenomenal craving. When I drink, I literally actually cannot stop drinking, you know, until something physically stops me, like, I fall asleep or something like that. Um, so, you know, and, um, so of course I get to college, and, you know, I think everything's going to be different, and I'm, like, totally full of fear, and, uh, I was, uh, I went to school about 20 minutes from where I grew up. Like, it wasn't like I moved across the country or anything like that. Like, but I was terrified. I was so scared. But at this time, I was like, couldn't really interact with people unless I had a drink in my hand, you know? And I had to interact with all new people. So naturally, I had to be drunk all the time. And um, alcohol is very accessible. And um, I um, yeah, pretty much blacked out every night of the week. You know, I had no idea. Like, a third, my poor roommate, um, like, <laughs> a third night in, she, like, had to call, like, we weren't supposed to call, like, 911 if there's an emergency. You had to call 4444, which is, like, the in-house, like, public safety people to, like, come, you know. So, like, I come in. Apparently, I just, like, like lose all control of my limbs and, like, just fell over. And so she had to call, like, the public safety people. And, like, it was, like, the third night of college. And she's like, oh, God, what kind of roommate did I get stuck with, you know? And um, I was okay. Um, but... Um, <laughs> And then I got in trouble again. I was, I don't know what happened. I got drunk. I got back to my dormitory and, like, somehow I fell and I'm, like, bleeding from the face and, like, um, my RA, I, you know, second time. And then I had also, like, got in trouble for, like, smoking pot. I didn't think that was a drug. You know, there's no way I was going to quit smoking weed. So, um, and, like, there was all this stuff, like, building up within, like, the first, like, two months I was at school, you know? And so they sent me to see the substance abuse counselor, right? And, um, 
So filling out the intake form, right? It's just, you know, those kind of forms you fill out before you go to a rehab or detox or something like that. It's like, how much do you drink? You know, how often do you drink? Do you ever think about killing yourself? You know, what kind of drugs have you tried? You know, all that stuff. So I was like, well, do I think about killing myself? Well, you can't, duh, who doesn't? Um, and then, <laughs> how often do you drink? Well, duh, I'm in college every day. Um, and then it was like, how many drinks do you have in a night? I was like, who keeps track of how much they drink in a night? Like, I have no idea. So I picked a nice round number, 10, you know. I thought that was, like, seemed pretty normal. Um, and so she looked at my intake form, and I was really honest about all the drugs that I had done. And um, for some reason, I don't know why. Um, and she, like, this woman, she's a very nice lady. I'm sure a certified substance abuse counselor, but she was not an alcoholic. And she looked at my form, and she was, like, horrified, you know? <laughs> she was like, you have ten drinks in a night? I was like, well, yeah, is that bad? You know, like, like so absolutely delusional about my condition, you know? And, um... Because uh, there's usually, like, eight shots in before I started to black out, you know? So I figured I must have at least ten. You know, I probably kept drinking after I blacked out, you know? And uh, uh, so she tried to, like, she's a really nice lady, and, you know, she tried to give me tips on how to control my drinking, you know? And um, I'm here, so they failed. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I, I uh, but, you know, how that late woman actually really did help me was, like, she helped plant the seed that there was something abnormal about my drinking. I got sober about a year later, and the entire year I spent trying to prove that, A, that I could drink, B, that I could control my drinking. And when I realized I couldn't control my drinking, I thought maybe I could plan my life around my drinking. See, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm, like, a creative type, right? And I thought, you know, I'm like, well, drugs, alcohol, they make me creative. You know, I thought I was going to be, like, Hemingway and, like, travel through Europe and, you know, um, Unfortunately, like, I am, like, the non-functioning type of alcoholic. Like, I drink and I don't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, I drink, I pass out, and I just sleep for, like, two weeks, you know? Um, so that didn't work out for me so well. Um, my second semester in college, I went to my first AA meeting, like, totally out of the blue. I didn't know anyone in AA. I think I'd seen some movies, like, where they went to AA meetings or something. And, you know, I had... I known some friends back in high school who got like sent to go to rehab, and I know like when everyone, anyone of my friends got sent to go to rehab, it was like a, it was like a really sad thing, you know. It was like, oh God, you know, Matt's going to go to rehab. Like we'll have to party when he gets back, you know. Like it was like not like oh we're gonna really help him like with his problems. Like oh you know he got caught by his parents or whatever it was. So yeah. So I knew a little bit about that from people that were like forced to go to it um, when they were younger. So I really didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to this meeting, and it was in a you know, church basement, and um, I got there kind of early. And there was a guy there, and he's about 25 years sober. And my first reaction was I kind of felt bad for him, you know? I was like, 25 years sober? You must be the most boring person on the face of the planet. Like, what do you do for fun? Um, I couldn't imagine what people did if they weren't getting drunk. Like, literally, I was like, do I have to start bowling? Do I have to join a knitting club? Like, what do you do if you're not drinking? Um, and then he started talking, and I kind of got the hint that AA wasn't about, like, learning how to control your drinking. It was about total abstinence, which I was like, ooh, you know, like, ooh, I wasn't sure if I was really feeling that. Um, so then we all sat in a circle, and we read from the big book. We read Chapter 7, Working with Others. And uh, 
if you've ever read that chapter before, there's like a paragraph. It's basically about how to sponsor someone. And um, there's one paragraph that's like telling you, you know, a, a drunk may burn your mattress. You know, your phone may jangle at any time of the night. Um, so I was like, where the hell did I end up? And um, then there's later a part about, it's like plain old whoopee parties. It's a whoopee party, you know? Like, I don't think, I don't know if I've ever gone to a whoopee party, you know? Like, when was this book written? These people are all really old, you know? I was not feeling the whoopee party or the phone jangling or anything like that. <laughs> um, so, um, the kicker was when we all held hands and prayed at the end of the meeting. I was like, get me the hell out of here, you know. And these really nice women gave me a ride home, and they gave me a list of their phone numbers, which was the most curious thing. I was, I was like, why would I call you people, you know. Like, I had no idea. And I said, pick up the phone instead of a drink. And I was like, I think I'm going to go to the second option. And I went home, and I got drunk. And um, I said AA didn't work for me because I went to that one meeting. So I was like, I tried AA. Um, and I, uh, I spent the next six months trying to prove that I could, you know. And I used to read the big book when I was drunk. I was like, there's some really great stuff in here, you know. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I read uh, all these self-help books, um, you know. And uh, what got me sober, what got me into the rooms was uh, not necessarily the outside consequences. You know, my life looked fairly decent from the outside. You know, I was failing out of school at a 0.6 GPA. Um, I uh, I got fired after two weeks from my job at the liquor store. Like, I failed at being a liquor store employee. Like, um, you know, I really didn't do anything but sit in my head of apartment by myself. But um, I had a cat, too. He's a good cat. Um, but, uh, yeah, I basically just drank, you know. I con I was... Uh, Underage, I couldn't buy alcohol and have a fake ID, so I had to con people into buying me alcohol. So I'm having a party tonight, so I need a lot of stuff <laughs> off of me. And, um, you know, basically what got me sober is I couldn't drink myself happy anymore, you know. I couldn't make the noise in my head stop telling me what how I wasn't good enough, what a piece of shit I was. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't smart enough. You know, I wasn't good enough. No one likes me. Um, you know, replaying all the shameful things that I did when I was drinking, you know, that was the worst. You know, because when you do something embarrassing or you think you do something embarrassing and you can't remember or you do something really shameful when you're drinking, you just get drunk again and it goes away. You know, when you can't make those thoughts go away, it's like it's constant hell, you know, and I felt like I was constantly drowning and I didn't know how to stop. I didn't know how to make my, I didn't know how to turn my life around, you know, and I just kind of knew intuitively that it wasn't like a, a phase I was going to grow out of. I wasn't just young in college and partying. I knew that I was different, you know, and I feel very grateful in that because I came to Alcoholics Anonymous having no question in my mind that I was an alcoholic. In fact, I actually really loved having problems because when you have problems, people feel sorry for you. Um, so it was sort of perfect for me, but you know, I was, I was absolutely hopeless. You know, I was, scared and hopeless and um my last night drinking I drank half a bottle of Jose Cuervo by myself and I tried to google um like a suicide hotline but um like I was too drunk to read the numbers on the screen so like I never actually made the call and I guess probably just got drunk and passed out and obviously didn't kill myself um and the next day I woke up and I was just like I mean it was just like a normal night drinking you know what I mean there's nothing particularly special about that 
that night, but I was like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm, I think I might have said a prayer when I was drunk, but I can't remember. Um, so anyway, so I start, go- I start going to AA. I went to an outpatient rehab. I was not going to be locked in uh, an inpatient rehab for 30 days with a bunch of strangers that scared the shit out of me. And uh, so I went to the outpatient. And uh, I started going to AA meetings, not because I thought it was a good idea, but surprisingly enough, I didn't have a lot going on at the time. So I really had nothing better to do. I took a medical withdrawal from school. I didn't have a job. I really didn't have any friends. I had this one boyfriend, but I dated him because he worked at the liquor store. You know, he could buy me alcohol. Once he got sober, there's really not much use for him anymore. I don't really like him that much. So I didn't have a lot going on besides the cat. Um, and about 30 days sober, I found my first sponsor. And um, I actually went to this meeting. I had gone back for three weeks in a row because this was my first, became my first home group. There was just something different about that meeting. People were excited. They were laughing. You know, they had a really great energy in the room that I was really drawn to. And, uh, and so I found my first sponsor because I had gone back to that meeting three weeks in a row. And they asked, you know, is anyone coming back? You know, and I said, well, yeah, I'm coming back. You know, to this meeting. But I didn't really know that coming back meant coming back from a relapse. I just thought you meant like you're coming back to that meeting. So I introduced myself as coming back, and she went up to me, and um, you know, asked if I had a sponsor, and she said she'll be my sponsor, and I was like, well, that was easy. And um, she told me to call her every day. And I was like, that's pretty extreme. Um, <laughs> like I was like, what are we going to talk about? You know, I don't call anyone every day. Um, and uh, she told me we're going to start working the steps. You know, I'm thinking, I'm 30 days sober. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for all that, but, you know, whatever. I wanted her to like me, you know. So <laughs> I just went along with it. <laughs> um, so I give her a call the next day. We meet up. And um, she's actually going on a 12-step call. A drunk woman had called her and needed help. So she took me along with her. And on the ride down, she started um, just telling a drunk story. I would tell a drunk story. Like, I thought she was pretty cool. She was pretty funny. Like, I could really relate to her. You know, she was the type of woman who was not ashamed of who she was, wasn't ashamed of things she did, and she made me feel completely comfortable sharing things about myself, you know. And um, I thought she was pretty badass. You know, she'd been a heroin addict. She'd gone to jail and rehab and, and halfway houses. I was like, this chick's pretty cool, you know. And um, I was thinking I was such a badass, you know. Like, she really outdid me. But um, And she started taking me through the first couple steps, you know. She told me that, you know, Abby, you don't have, if you're like me, you don't have a drinking problem. You have a sobriety problem. You know, if you had a drinking problem, you would stop drinking and everything would be okay. But I know at least when I stop drinking, everything's not okay. You know, my mind's racing. I feel uncomfortable in my own skin. I feel afraid of people. I feel afraid of the world. Um, you know, I feel like I'm coming out of my skin. I can't sleep at night. And that was something I can totally, absolutely relate to. Because um, that's what early sobriety is like. Constant, constant mind racing. Full of fear, you know. And she told me that since my solution was alcohol and my solution wasn't working anymore, then I need to find a new solution. And I can find that solution in Alcoholics Anonymous in the 12 steps. And uh, and I can absolutely say I did. You know, everything that I was searching for in a bottle I found in the rooms at AA. You know, the ability to be comfortable in my own skin, the ability to show up and participate in life, um, friends, fellowship, fun. That sounds so cheesy, but um, <laughs> I, uh, it just takes a lot longer you know, by doing step work. You know, the great thing about alcohol is instantaneously, it's all, you know, it works just like that, you know. The steps are a little bit slower, but the results are so much better, you know. So, and then she um, asked me if I was willing to go to any lengths, and like I said, I wanted her to like me, so I said yes. And uh, I, uh, she told me, she asked if I thought what would work for her would work for me, you know, doing AA and doing steps and finding God and, you know, 
she looked like she was doing okay. You know, she she said she told me about the things she had used to done and said she wasn't doing them anymore. And I thought, well, you know, if this chick's pretty screwed up, you know, if A could work for her, you know, probably could work for me too. So anyway, so we get to this uh this drunk woman's house and uh she's like completely like she's just beyond drunk, you know. And um she's the type of alcoholic that literally cannot stop drinking. She gets the DTs and like, you know. Um so she's uh she gets in the car, she's like burning cigarette holes in the back seat and you know, she's like making something. we're trying to like talk to her and like call her and she's like or at least my sponsor was. And she's like making song requests, like she's like, Can we listen to the Akon? you know? And uh she we get to the diner and she uh she looks at me and my first sponsor and is like, I just want what you guys have, you know, like I just wanna be sober and be happy. I'm 30 years sober, and I'm thinking she wants what I got. You know, I must be doing pretty well. Um, so I proceed to start giving her advice, right? So, <laughs> what else do I do? Later, I don't remember what I said, but later my sponsor told me that she um, just let me go because the woman was drunk and wouldn't remember what I said anyway. <laughs> she also said that I looked like I was enjoying myself. So, um, the moral of the story is I am. Um, I drove home that night feeling like I was floating on air. You know, I felt better that one night. I feel better than I felt in a really, really long time, you know. And I believe it's because I um, experienced two magics of Alcoholics Anonymous that night, you know. I experienced the magic of, you know, two drunks talking to another, sharing, relating on the same level. Um, no one's better than the other. and We're just all just a bunch of screwed up people trying to get better, you know, and trying to help other people get better. And the other magic was, you know, helping someone else. You know, even though I probably wasn't sharing the pearls of wisdom with this um, this strong woman, um, you know, the ability to show up and participate in someone else's recovery is an absolute gift and um, has been one of the best parts of my recovery thus far. Um, so I um, went through the rest of the steps, and, um, you know, by doing a fourth and a fifth step and by making amends, I learned that I wasn't a victim anymore, you know. I was like, oh. It's not all you guys' fault that I'm so screwed up. <laughs> it's my own fault. <laughs> um, and um, it actually was pretty freeing for me because I stopped giving people so much power, you know? Like, slowly, it's a very slow process, and obviously none of us gets perfect and none of us gets well quick, and, you know? Um, but I am um, now I know, like, when I have a resentment, it's, like, automatically, I'm like, well, it's my part, you know? Or I'm like, they're sick, you know, or whatever, and, like, that frees me from a lot of anger and a lot of old and new resentments, you know, because it's not like we get sober and I'm walking on sunshine 24-7. It's not like life doesn't happen, you know. It's like things still pop up, and I still need the things that I've learned in this program to help me through those times. And um, after I went through the steps the first time, I was, like, totally, like, rocketed you know I was like really jazzed about AA like I remember when people started like when I first started coming around people were like you want to come out to the diner come out to the movies after the meeting and I'm like why would I want to hang out with you losers you know and then I became one of those losers and I'm like yeah we're going to the diner and 
Um, I got really excited about the speaking commitments and like doing service, and I, you know, I started sponsoring other girls. And the first girl I sponsored, you know, she was like absolutely batshit crazy, and like her dad would call me, and her grandma would call me, and like her dog peed all over me the first time I went to her house, and like <laughs> it was great. I mean, she was a pain in the ass, but she um she made me feel a lot better about myself, you know. <laughs> I'm like my life doesn't look so bad anymore, you know. Um, and still have that reaction when I see this person, but um, I, uh, it was great. You know, it was, like I said, like I finally felt like I wasn't sucking the recovery out of everyone else. Like I was actually showing up and participating and, um, you know, life has been really, really incredible, you know, um, since I got sober, you know, I, uh, had a lot of great things happen on the outside. A lot of not so great things happen. Um, the best thing I can tell you is that, you know, I love this up here over there. Like, I am a free woman today. Um, I don't think about drinking anymore. I don't, you know, I don't hide from it. I don't run from it. You know, part of, like, my life is I really like going to see live music and a lot of those shows are in bars and, you know, like, I show up and I just don't even think about it, you know. I go to a wedding. I don't think about drinking anymore, you know. Um, and it's not something I have to prove to myself either, where I have to be like, oh, I can be around alcohol. It doesn't bother me. You know, it's like, whatever. It just it is what it is, you know. And um, I'm free from a lot of that sort of emotional baggage that plagues me from here. Like, I am not ashamed of the person I was. I'm not ashamed of the things I did when I was drinking. Like, I feel completely comfortable with the person that I am today on most days. You know, like, like I said, like, things aren't perfect. You know, I have those moments of fear. I have those resentments. You know, things pop up. But I do sometimes act on those crazy thoughts that I get, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, But um, I can say that most days I feel pretty comfortable in my own skin. You know, most nights I can just put my head on the pillow and I can sleep at night, you know. Um, a little bit about what I've been up to. Um um, four months sober, I got into a relationship because I don't listen, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> um, I'm like, he's cute, he's like a year sober, you know, um, and about three months after that, I got pregnant, and to be 20 years old and pregnant was like l- literally the last thing that I wanted to happen, I pretty much thought it was the worst thing ever and the worst thing in the world, and I was a very, very emotional human being and after my daughter was born I had like really awful postpartum depression where I was just in a really really dark place and um that was the closest I ever came to relapsing I was like literally in front of a liquor store and three weeks after my daughter was born I was I turned 21 and I was like I can just go and I can just go buy alcohol and no one's gonna stop me you know I it was the first it's the only time I've cut myself in sobriety or well, one of the only times I've caught myself in sobriety, you know, the only time where I seriously thought about suicide, and I didn't know who to talk to about it, you know, I didn't know who to turn to, and luckily I had, you know, even just a small relationship with a God in my life that um, helped bring me through that time in my life, which is just, it was hard, you know, um, and today that, I, I mean, I'm really grateful that I've had teachers that teach, taught me how to ha- have active prayer and meditation life. Um, to keep me connected to a higher power and keep me knowing that I'm not in charge, you know? Like, I don't have to control everything. I don't have to control every situation. And you know what? I'm a human being. I'm going to have a range of emotions, you know? I'm going to laugh. I'm going to cry. I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be happy. And that's okay. It's okay to just sit in the moment and be in the moment. Um, You know, everyone's broken, 
you know, it's just I'm broken in a way in which I'm, I'm an alcoholic. And luckily I have a solution. There's a lot of people out there who are absolutely, like, they don't have a solution for whatever it is that is plaguing them. And I feel really grateful that I do. Um, and I can say my daughter um, turned four in January, and she's um, she's just, like, she's just it's wonderful. You know, I love being a mother today. Um, it's perfect for a person like me because I'm so selfish and, like, constantly gets me out of myself. And um, she just, like, shines God out of her eyes. You know, she's just so beautiful. Um, and she, uh, she's such a little AA baby. You know, she's, like, the other night, I was, I was speaking at a meeting, actually, last night. And she's, like, I'm, like, going to a meeting, you know. And um, she's, like, well, who's speaking? <laughs> and I was, like, well, Mommy's speaking. And she's, like, no, you're not. I was, like, yeah, I am. <laughs> I don't think she's ever heard me before, so it's like weird thinking of me up at the podium. And she, you know, she knows when to hold hands, she knows when to clap when appropriate, and you know, um, she's just she's grown up in AA and she's wonderful. And I, uh, I ended up marrying my baby daddy um, about two years sober. And uh, you know, I'm really lucky. Like it really could have turned out so differently than what it could have turned out. Like he's an amazing father and an amazing man, and we're currently not together, and um, that's okay. You know. Like, sometimes relationships aren't meant to be, and sometimes they are. I don't know. We'll try to work it out and see what happens. But um, I know that, you know, I try to trust in God. And, you know, this, uh, honestly, like, the separation has been the best thing for my sobriety because I'm doing all the things now that I should have been doing five years ago when I first got sober. You know, like, talking to other women in an area. You know, actively praying, actively meditating. I've gone on this, like, amazing spiritual journey recently. I just started studying, like, Buddhism and Christianity again and practicing Buddhist meditation. And you know what? The take-home message is all the same. You know, clean house, trust God or Buddha or higher power or whatever, and help others. You know, it's all the same across any religion or any sort of practice you do. Um, And that's really just helped me just relieve so much of the noise in my head. I can't even really explain to you how powerful prayer meditation has been in my life over the past, um, you know, few months. So I feel, you know, I think that everything happens in our lives for a reason, and I'm really, uh, really grateful for everything that has transpired, even if it was uncomfortable. You know, there's moments where I felt really uncomfortable. There were moments where I couldn't sleep at night, where I was up at 3 a.m. and my mind was racing. But you know what? If I didn't sleep that night, it's because I wasn't supposed to sleep that night. Like, it's not a big deal, <laughs> you know? Like, I'll wake up the next morning and hopefully tomorrow will be better, you know? Hopefully tomorrow my actions will be better. Um, I um, I just uh, I wanted to end by saying that, uh, you know, the things on the outside are great. You know, I've, I was able to finish school. You know, I, I boosted my GPA from 0.6 a little bit. And, uh, you know, I got a degree in something that I love, and today I get to do a job that, you know, it's not I'm not having my, you know, but I'm a writer, and um, I work in marketing, which is, like, it's not, like, I always picture myself having, like, a really glamorous life and glamorous job, and I don't, but I have a perfect job for me. It's super flexible and allows me to be a mom and, um, like, you know, pays me enough to pay my bills, and, you know, that's fabulous, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't complain, like, I was the type of person that could never show up and never do anything, you know, so to be able to show up to a job every day and be appreciated and people like the work you do, I mean, it's absolutely amazing, and to show up and be a mother and to show up and be a friend and a daughter and, and everything has just been a really incredible journey, um, but what makes me happy today is the stuff on the inside, you know, being okay, 
you know, today I can honestly say I'm okay. And I get to help other people and use my experience to, to help other people feel okay. So I think I'm at the end of the hour and I'd love to thank you all for letting me share my story with you tonight. And um, that's all I got. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.